Well, I want to welcome everyone listening to us online and as a podcast. What I'm sharing this morning is sort of part two of a three-part little series talking about the whole area of money and wealth and prosperity and giving and offerings and tithing and this this kind of thing. The first part, uh, if you want, if you didn't hear it, uh, was called uh, Filthy Rich, and you want to look, at, look for that online. Uh, it's very funny talking about giving and money. I remember one time, uh, it was a youth pastor actually was preaching in a church. He's now a very successful uh, senior pastor in a huge church. But he was a youth pastor at the time, and he was preaching about money. Or, or they did a little thing, you know, in some churches where they do a little offering talk before they receive the offering. They were doing, they were doing one of them. And afterwards, a guy came up to him, and he was offended that they talked about money in the church. And uh, he said, uh, he said, why do you emphasize the offering in this church? And this young man, he was only young, but what a brilliant answer. Now, he told us this as an anecdote. I hope he really thought of it at the time. He said to the man, you know, thank you for what you said, he said. Because he said, why do you emphasize the offering? He said, uh, in this church, we emphasize everything. He said, we emphasize worship. We emphasize holiness. We emphasize evangelism. We emphasize the Holy Spirit. We emphasize helping the poor. We emphasize everything. Now he said, sir, can I ask you a question? Why are you emphasizing the offering? The man was offended by one thing, missed all the other things. In Second Corinthians, Paul writes to the Macedonians. He's well, he writes to the Corinthians, but speaking of the Macedonians. He says, I want you to excel in all things. He said, you're excelling in everything. Excel also in giving. I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 16. And I think it's verse 11. The truth is, I, I remember many years ago I used to teach this. I've not taught this in this church for seven years. It's seven years to this month, because uh, I looked it up, it's seven years to this month that I taught on giving in this church. So by the way, just to say, if you're new, we're not one of these rammed down your throat giving type churches, but once every seven years is probably a bit too, it's probably not enough actually. So here we are for our seven-year look at it. Uh, I used to go around and teach this in churches. It was a big thing of mine, maybe 10, 15 years ago, 15 years ago probably. And um, just to talk about this. And the reason people used to say to me, how do you dare in a British church talk about money? Because they get offended. And I, I, I have this maxim in my ministry, which is this, that people love the truth. They just love the truth. And so all lovers of the truth will love the word of God to do with money as well, as well as all the other things. 
And I love to hear the truth. I hope you love to hear the truth. And uh, I hope we're going to talk the truth. Luke 16, 11, Jesus is making a comment, and it's a kind of an off-the-cuff comment that we want to pick up on. Verse 11 says, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been, if you can't handle money correctly, Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to handle very much correctly. <laughs> you won't be able to handle true riches if you can't handle earthly coins. And so the inference is the way that you handle your money, the, whether, you are, whether you've got your money or whether your money has got you, really is an indication of, of a whole span of things within the frame of your life. It's a common thing that if God is really touching someone, he will touch their pocket as well. And, uh, it, you know, it all kind of plays its, plays its part. Now, last time, we looked at some of the things the Bible says about money, and I'm bringing them up straight away upon our screen here, that it can be a God. You remember the rich young ruler who said, oh, I've kept all the commandments, but actually he still was being kept by his money. It had gripped him. And uh, the inference was that he felt that he had money, but Jesus was sort of saying, no, actually your money has got you. It's become a God. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. He kind of elevated money to the status of being a God to those people. So we, we, we saw this last time. I'm just recapping. It could be a God. Loving it can be the source of every kind of evil. So someone who loves money is in big, big trouble. It opens that if they love money, uh, we all love to pay our bills. We all love to pay off our credit card. We all love to, oh wow, I've managed to afford the MOT this year. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the pursuit of more, 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 more. I've got to have this. I've got to have the latest this. I've got to have the latest that. I tell you, it, it does something to you. We learned last time, the Bible recommends the secret of learning contentment. Happy is the man. This is not from the Bible. This is from me. But happy is the man who is happy with what he's got. If you just want one pound more, then discontentment is in you. And so we discovered it was a root of evil. But we also discovered that it can be a blessing. The blessing of the Lord adds wealth or brings wealth and adds no sorrow to it. For a lot of people, their wealth has not come from the Lord. I want you to hear me say that again. For many people, their wealth has not come from the Lord. It has come from them and their pursuit of things. And therefore, there's sorrow with it. But where God brings wealth to us, it adds no sorrow. It adds no sorrow. And uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, that famous verse, uh, God gives us the power to get wealth. He gives us the strength to go out and get the money to pay off our bills and things like that. So God is not against money. God is not uh, a God who, do, who wants you to be poor and destitute. However, the Bible is full of warnings about kind of being 
too much in the rat race. There are people who, who have uh, forsaken the ministry, they've forsaken the call of God because they couldn't afford to do that in, the, in their minds, if you like. And so money can be a very controlling power. Now, now I'm doing new stuff. We didn't look at it. I want to ask the question today, were people in the Bible rich or poor? Were they rich people in the Bible or were they poor people in the Bible? Now, for the sake of today, we're talking now comparatively. You'll know if you've looked at globalrichlist.com that you're probably uh, amongst the highest, richest people in the world, even if uh, someone in your family's got a nicer car or house than, than, than you. Half the world live on less than £10 a week. And so if you're doing a bit better than that, you're kind of doing okay. But just for the sake of today, let's use this in a comparative sense. Were the people in the Bible, were they rich or poor? And the answer is that some were poor and some were rich. That's the answer to that. Let me give you a few examples. Well, here's some of the poorer people. Very interesting. Uh, Mary and Joseph were poor. Uh, you know the old Christmas story, no room at the inn? Well, I'm sure there was room at the Bethlehem Hilton. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> right? What we mean is there was no room at the Days Inn. <laughs> well, although that's quite costly now, isn't it, too? But you know what I mean? There were, there, there was, I'm sure in the Bethlehem Hilton there was plenty of room, but they didn't have very much money. Uh, in fact, we know they didn't have very much money because in, uh, in Luke 2.24, by the way, all these scriptures are all online. You can go to our website and download the... Uh, the ministry notes of this, so you can see all this again if you wish. In Luke 2.24, it says that they, they brought to the, to, the, to the temple, they were offering something for Jesus. And in the law, people with hardly any money were allowed to bring the lowest offering, which was two pigeons or two doves, and that's what Mary and Joseph brought. So they, uh, they didn't have a lot of cash, Mary and Joseph. Jesus also, in Matthew 8, verse 20, he says... This on one occasion, he says, uh, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, he didn't own any property. Uh, the only indication we have that Jesus had any kind of wealth was that garment that they wanted to uh, trade for. So his garment wasn't the cheapest thing, but that, that's not the equivalent to saying that he was, you know, dressed in some sort of... Uh, uh, TV evangelist type suit. Uh, 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 he didn't have much money. In fact, in, uh, in uh, Mark 15, verses 40 to 41, we find out how Jesus was financed. He was financed by a group of women who used to follow him around and pay for everything. Wow. Let's pray for that. Uh, but, uh, but no, it didn't, uh, Jesus didn't have a lot of money. And the early disciples didn't have a lot of money either. In Acts chapter 3, what does... Peter, what does Peter and John say? Silver and gold, what? Have I none? <laughs> right? And Peter didn't say, oh, are you, you, would you like some money? Hang on, I'll just go over to the cash point. I'm sure I've got something in there. He said, I haven't got anything to give you. I haven't got anything to give except he gave him the miracle, of course. And uh, so Peter and John didn't have very much money. They didn't have enough money to give to a beggar in the street. They didn't have enough money for a big issue. That's essentially it. And... Uh, and then in the, the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul, writing there, and we'll look at Philippians, I think, next week, uh, he said, uh, I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to be naked, he says. I know what it is to have something to eat. I know what it is to have nothing to eat. 
So there was a man without, without a credit card. There was a man who didn't have a lot of money. So, the, so those are the poor candidates. Now, let's get on to the rich list. You ready for these boys? Here we go. Uh, there were people in the Bible that did have some money. Uh, they didn't lend it to Peter, John, and Paul. But uh, I wrote this out. I wanted you to hear this. Job was the wealthiest man among the people of the East. Okay? He wasn't just the wealthiest man in his street, but among the people of the East, his whole region. Can you imagine being the most rich man in the West? Wow. Boy, oh boy. Uh, he says he was the wealthiest man among the people of the East. God blessed him at the end of his suffering with 14,000 sheep. Let's just think about that. You see him? You, uh, do you ever count sheep at night? Count up to 14,000. You're getting into Job territory. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels. Seems a lot. Uh, 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. Rich man. Uh, David and Solomon. Uh, during one period where David wanted to give an offering to the temple, uh, he gave 3,395 tons of gold. Right? No wonder people wanted to be around him. And, uh, and 34,000 tons of silver. And he didn't miss it. Well, maybe he did, but uh, Solomon had a yearly reception. I studied this out this week. He received each year 22 and a half tons of gold uh, each year. Abraham, Genesis 13, verse 2, it says he had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. And in the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy 28, uh, it was considered sort of a curse to be poor. What we notice about this uh, little set of examples here, you might notice the difference between Old and New Testament. Guess what? We live in the... Oh dear. Uh, please turn to Matthew 25. Let's sort this out. I want to show you something. Matthew 25. Someone asked the question, what does God want me to be? Does he want me to be rich or poor? Does God want me to be David? Or does he want me to be John? Which does he want? Which does he want for you? Am I supposed to be uh, like Solomon or Job? Or am I supposed to be like Paul? And sometimes not have anything to eat or to wear. You know, how does all this work? We're going to read the parable of the talents. And I think this will maybe help us in this whole area of money. You know this parable very well. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of telling stories and he says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. You all with me? Yeah. Verse 15. To the one he gave five talents 
of money. Now, let me just help you. A talent is very hard to bring this through exactly into our world, but it's about 300 pounds of money. Okay? So five talents is what? 1,500 pound? Have I got that right? Someone help me. Cambridge students. Okay. To one man he gave 1,500 pounds. To another man he gave uh, 600 pounds, correct? Okay. And to another, a mere 300 pounds. The, the trouble with this is talent, you know. We think of talent shows, I've got talent, Britain's got talent, uh, you know, we think of all that. Uh, Jane and I are currently watching America's Got Talent, we're both sitting there going, uh, uh, all the time. Uh, although their best talent is always better than our British talent, I must say that. Um, we think of it as, t- you know, but it's, it's money, honey. Okay? It's money. It's all about money. To one person, he gave a whole load of money, three talents, or five, what it, five talents. To another one, he gave three, another one only one. He's giving out his money to them. And he goes on his journey. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Top man. <laughs> so also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And when the guy comes back, he wants to know what's gone on with my money while I've been away. And as you know, some are rewarded. And uh, and then we come down to the man who had the one talent, verse 24. The man who had received the one talent came, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. He gave him back the 300 pounds that he'd received. And his master was not pleased. You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And they have a big row about it. Now, what's this got to do with us? I think a lot. It's true that God gives us talent, ability, gift, skill, And we must put it to work in the kingdom of God. Some do and some do not. On the day of judgment, we are all answerable for what we've done with what we've got. But if I bring this, so that's that's totally true. But if I bring this parable back to the initial way that it would have been heard by the hearers. He's talking about a guy who gave to one person five talents, but to another person he only gave him one. And the story doesn't try to explain why. And so today, some people, in terms of money, uh, very rarely see £300 in their account when they put the card in the machine. Other people wouldn't see anything under £3,000 in their account. The parable doesn't suggest there was a reason why this one had this, this one had that. That's not really the point. The point was that at the end of the age, God says to them, what did you do with the money? What did you do with the money? And so it will be true for me. 
and also for you, at the end of the age, when I stand before God, God's going to want to say to me, what did you do with your money? As well as your gift, ability, time, skill, etc. What did you do with your money? Not how much money, but what did you do with it? So Peter and John will not be accountable like King David was for his money. Did you, do you follow me? Those who have much, much will be required. Much more than the guy who didn't have any money. And so the question is not so much, how much money have I got? Although, we, you know, that is a good question. Particularly if you're thinking of buying a house tomorrow. It's good to say, how much have I got? Well, I, I want to go out and buy a, an iPad or I'm going to buy a new car. Well, have you got enough money for it? If we borrow money to pay for these things, particularly, I'm not talking so much about a mortgage, but other things, what we're saying is in the future, I'm going to have so much more money coming in that I'll be able to pay this off. And quite frankly, you don't know that. But getting, getting back to the story, the point is this. God is going to want to know from me, from you, what did we do with our money? It's not incidental to God. It's not incidental to the scripture about the whole issue of money. And so whether you feel you've got a whole load of money, or whether you feel you hardly got any money, and by the way, even people who've got a whole load of money often think they haven't got any money. Can you say amen? That's true. However, the, the issue is, what are you doing with it? And the idea that this is, you know, sort of taboo, well, it's nothing to do with anyone but me, that's not true. God is extremely interested in these things because we're going to be called to account for these things. There's, a, there's an amazing uh, story about a little widow woman. And uh, when I, I've shared this before many, many years ago, people get a bit offended at this. But anyway, just hear the truth of it. There's a story of a, a widow woman, right? Who came and gave her might. You know the story? And Jesus said, she has given more than any of them. Right? She gave more than any of them. Because she gave everything she had and the rest of them gave out of their excess. And this, how true this is in the area of offerings, how true this is. For some people to, let's say, uh, to give a five pound note into an offering, whatever it might be for, for Ethiopia, for building fund, for, you know, whatever it may be, a visiting speaker. For someone to give five pounds, for one person to give five pounds, that could be a colossal sacrifice. And to another person, it could actually be a mockery. It's still a five pound note. But it's all about what, how much has been given from what the person had. Jesus said the woman who gave the mite, which was the tiniest, almost worthless coin, almost worthless, gave all she had. Whereas the others who gave so much more, actually, in Jesus' perspective, in God's 
perspective, they didn't give as much because she gave everything. I remember a few years ago, I lived, I was in Torquay, I lived in this very tall Victorian building a little room and it's like a flat in this house very tall which as you know when I first walked in as a kid looked how tall it was I thought wow this is great and then when the winter came I thought I wish the ceiling was a whole lot lower uh, than it is because it's freezing I used to put more clothes on to go to bed than I wore in the day and that's that's true I really did it's freezing and what I would do is, I was working in the caves in those days, working underground. And I give a little tour of the caves, talk about the caves. And at the end, if I've done a good tour, been humorous or something like that, uh, someone might give me a tip. Now, it wasn't like it is today. People gave a tip because they wanted to. I didn't give them a, a, a card reader at the end that said, how much gratuity do you want to give like we have today? They had to want to give me the money. So I'd be standing at the end and, and every now and then someone would walk by me and give me a pound coin. And that, now, now back in my little flat, I had very little uh, salary. That pound coin was enormous to me because the pound coin could go into a box on the wall which would turn the heating on in the house. No pound, no heat. No pound, no bath even. You wonder why I didn't have a girlfriend till much later in life? <laughs> no bath. I mean, really. I had to decide sometimes, do I put the fire on or do I put the, do I put the hot water on? And many times I'd wake up and there'd be no electricity in the house at all because the machine, you know, they eat these coins, don't they? If you've used them, you know that. So when someone came up to me at the end and gave me a pound, you understand it? That was a lot, wasn't it? To me. Maybe to another member of staff with a much bigger salary, a, a, a much better lifestyle, the pound was just small change in his pocket. Maybe, you know, oh, maybe now I could, uh, maybe we can, I'll have a drink with my meal out tonight or something like this. That, it's not about what it is. It's about what it means. Some people can give a pound and it's everything. Some people can give a pound and it's just, it's just a mockery because it's just like a uh, passing the hat round thing. It's not really a sacrifice. God looks for a sacrifice from me and from you. The funny bit about the story with the widow's mite is I want to know how did Jesus know what she gave? How could Jesus possibly know that she gave this little tiny coin? Now, someone will say, well, he knew it by the Holy Spirit, brother. Well, maybe not. Maybe he stood right next to the collection thing, putting his face in it to want to know what's going in here. How else could he have seen it? But the idea that God is looking at you as you give your offering, how offensive. But I, I want to tell you, he sure is. It's not incidental. The way we handle our money is the way we're handling our life. Okay. Let's talk about tithing. For the first time in uh, seven years in this church, 
let's mention something about, about tithing. Many uh, believers tithe into uh, the local storehouse. So you want to find Malachi as best you can. You might want to find Matthew and just turn one page back. That might help you. And uh, we're going to look at the whole issue of tithing for a moment. We're going to talk about whether it's a New Testament thing, an Old Testament thing, and, uh, and deal with it. Tithing. What can we say about tithing? I thought of three things. There are many more, but here are a few things about tithing. Tithing is bringing our first fruits to God. That's what it is. In the Old Testament, the farmers, the, the, the communities, of course, it's a little bit different now. Uh, normally when we receive tithes in church, we don't normally expect you to bring carrots, cabbages, produce of the land, you know. Uh, we willingly accept salads, trifles, drinks for a barbecue, but not really farming produce, you know. And um, so, but that's what they did. Effectively, it was a tax system in the Old Testament, really. That's, that's the bottom line. It was a tax system. And while we talk about 10%, in fact... If, I'm, if I've got my maths right, you know maths not my strong point, but I'm led to believe they did three tithes a year, which actually worked out actually much more than 10% in a funny kind of way. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll leave that for now. But they did actually give more than, than, than a tenth once, once, it, you know, once the year had been done. The book of Proverbs says this, Offer the Lord the first fruits uh, of your produce and then your land will be blessed and your vats will brim over with new wine. Offer the Lord the first fruits and then you know, blessing will follow. Today, what Christians often do is they bring to the Lord that 10% of their, of their income. Uh, it should be noted that I've always uh, brought 10% of my gross income, not my net income. And I remember one time I was uh, in receipt of some benefits. I'm going back to the days when I was in this big house. And I received benefits that didn't go to me, but went straight to the landlord. But in those days, I used to make sure I found out exactly what had gone to him. And I would tithe also what had gone to him. Because essentially it was coming to me uh, but going direct to him. And so I've always taken this very seriously. What I always say with tithing is it's not really a matter of the moving of the spirit on your heart. It's just really a matter of getting the calculator out and working it out. Right? You don't really need God to talk to you. It's really just a matter of calculations. Um, here's the text that people talk about in uh, Malachi. and It's Malachi 3. I'm beginning at verse 8. Malachi 3 and verse 8. And here's the people talking. Will a man rob God? And God answers them, yet you rob me. And they say, but how do we do that? And God says, in tithes and offerings, 
You are under a curse, he says, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it, or not room enough to contain it. I don't know whether this uh, has escaped your notice or not, but here is a real promise from the scripture that's very different to other promises. We're told throughout the Bible, do not put the Lord your God to the what? To the test. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Except in one area, it seems. God actually says to them, I want you to test me in this. There's no other page in the Bible, to my knowledge, where this occurs. Only to do with tithing. God says that, God says to the people, you can actually, you know, almost to the sense, who I'm saying this with all due reverence because we're in the presence of the Lord here, that you can actually call me into account. With no other area can you call God to account. If you do, you might be fried. So don't do it. Don't incur the wrath of God. You can't put God to the test. You can't. Uh, have a complaint against God. You can't say, Lord, what are you doing? You shouldn't talk to the king of glory like that. You wouldn't talk to David Cameron like that. So you shouldn't talk to God like that. Truth is, you wouldn't talk to David Cameron at all. It wouldn't be important enough. But here's something amazing. God says, in the area of tithing, you can put me to the test. You can put this into action and see it work. If you will bring the first fruits of what you've got, and if you will bring it to me, bring it into the storehouse, and for many, many years, people have understood, and I believe it is correct myself, that the storehouse is the local church. The storehouse is the local church. I was so blessed, by the way, uh, to catch a bit of uh, Christian TV the other day. Don't often watch it, but one, uh, f- you know, flicked over and, um, you know, waiting for Dragon's Den to come on. So I flicked over and um, there was a preacher talking and I thought he, the stuff he was saying was quite good. And as it ended, it gave an appeal for funds like lots of these TV shows sometimes do. But a big thing came up on the screen. So-and-so ministries believe that your tithe should be in your local church. I thought, well, thank God for that. There's a ministry with great integrity. I remember one man, he came to me. It was in a local church I was pastoring many years ago. And he said, well, what I do is I give 10%, uh, I give 10%, but I give half of it to, I won't say the name of the ministry, but you'd all have heard of him. Let's say he wears a white suit and... and um, so you know it's not me. He said, I give, uh, and by the way, and uh, God bless him, you know, I'm not being critical of him. He said, he gave, ten, he, he gave 10%, but half of it, 5% or whatever, I can't remember how much it was, but he gave a portion of it to a ministry and a portion of it to the local church. 
And I had to get brave with the man. I knew it would offend him. I knew I was going to get in trouble. But people love the truth, I hope. I said to him, I said, well, in my opinion, you're not, you're not tithing then. Uh, because your 10 has not, has not come to the storehouse. You have, by all means, given an offering to that brother. If you believe in what he's doing, you love what he's doing, you, you gain from the ministry, the word of God says that uh, those who instruct in the Lord, you know, you can share all good things with your instructor. And so if you're blessed by a ministry, by all means, you write them a check. By all means, support them. Of course. Of course. But don't call it tithing. You're giving an offering to someone. Don't, don't call it tithing. God says, I want you to test me in this. And here's a word that we don't like at all. But here it is. He says to a whole lot of you, verse 9, you're under a curse. A curse. Because of the way you've been neglecting to do this. He said, you're under a curse. And what, he, what he's talking about is that things would, were going wrong for them. When he talks about, I'm going to rebuke the devourer a little bit later on, what he's talking about is their crops were being damaged and destroyed. And it was really difficult for them. Does that mean that people who don't, Christians who don't tithe today are sort of in the state, maybe we don't like to use the word curse, but they're not under the, fa- the, the favor of God And I would say yes. In the area of finances, because you can't test the Lord your God. You have to play your part. If you let go of that which is in your hand, God lets go of that which is in his hand. God says, if you will do do your part, bring this to me first as a first fruits, then I'll make sure that that 90% that you have left is covered with my blessing. I remember many years ago going to Bible college, and uh, people ask me sometimes, how did you afford to pay for it? And you know what? I haven't the foggiest idea. I don't know. It cost me £12,000 in the, in the 1990s. In the 1990s, I could barely put a pound coin in a box. How did I get £12,000? I don't know. I just know that 90% can be blessed by God. And 90% blessed by God is better than 100% not blessed by God. Can you say amen? 90% blessed by God will meet every need. 100% blessed by God or, or not blessed by God. Maybe it doesn't quite make ends meet. Well, let's look at something else. Paying tithes is an eternal principle. Some say, well, we don't like this tithing lark because... Um, that sounds legalistic. You know, the, the, this, uh, this Old Testament. After all, you just read it in Malachi. We're in the New Testament now. Hallelujah. You know what I say to folks who talk like that? First of all, if you really want to abide by the New Testament, I, I want to commend you. Go look at scriptures like selling everything they had. Go look at verses like that then. If that's what you want. You want to live New Testament? Give it all away. If you want to live New Testament. So that's always a kind of a fun thing that people say. But what you find is that all throughout the word of God, this principle of bringing the tenth runs from right through from Genesis, you know, all the way through. In these uh, scriptures here, Genesis 14, 
verse 20, Genesis 28, 20 to 22. These are two instances where Abraham, and then I think it's Jacob, they both gave a tenth. And Abraham gave his tenth to Melchizedek. Jacob vowed to give God a tenth of everything he had. And this was before the law of Moses. So this wasn't something that the law of Moses brought in. Similarly, you might even dare to suggest that the whole principle of not touching what belongs to God is right in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Now, it's a, maybe a stretched point. But in the Garden of Eden, God said to them, you can have all of this. You're going to have all of this. It all belongs to you. That's what he said. And then he said, but don't touch this. Although you can take from it, you mustn't. And maybe even in that, you have the seed of, you've got everything, it's all yours, but part of it does not belong to you. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you can turn there if you like and see it here. We have a, a tithing principle put about by uh, the Apostle Paul, of course. In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle writes this, On the first day of every week, he's talking about a collection, you see that in verse 1. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, that's their worship day, you know. Uh, on the first day of every week, on Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You know, they didn't have, uh, uh, you know, a, um, what should we say, a Corinthian Community Church bank account. So they had to save it for him for when he came. Here we notice two things about tithing. One is that although it's not said that it's a tenth, the offering they were to bring was consistent with their income, in keeping with their income. But what we also notice is that now they're giving money, not carrots. Okay, so by the time you get to the New Testament, this principle of giving a tenth has, has turned into money. Okay, finally... Tithe should be used biblically. Tithing is a godly principle, but the tithing, the tithes that are received, of course, should be used correctly. And this is how tithes should be used. Uh, supporting God's work. Acts 4. There's a time where they people sold their possessions and they laid them at the apostles' feet. There's no specified thing how that money should be used, but it was clearly for the work of the gospel that had just begun. So for the, the tithes were used for the, uh, just for, for, the, for the work of God. It's not specified what it was, but it clearly didn't uh, enrich and make wealthy the apostles uh, to the point where they're driving around in flashy cars and, well, flashy donkeys, you know. Uh, but, but the money was laid at their feet for them to use. 
they met in the temple, they met in homes, maybe they, they just spent it according to need. Also, by the time Paul begins to minister, 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 6, all these scriptures are on the website, if you want to look at them, they, the money was used to pay for the ministry. That means paying people to do the ministry. People like me, people like, well, lots of people today standing in churches. Some do it in their spare time, some do it for, you know, for, for, for free. Some are paid part-time because of the, uh, just because the church is not so wealthy. Others are paid full-time. It varies. Sometimes, and it was the same for Paul, sometimes Paul uh, received offerings wherever he went. There were other times uh, where Paul, and this was in, this was in uh, Thessalonica, where actually Paul refused to be paid uh, by them because he wanted to show that he was real and that he was the genuine article. Uh, you know, well, a little anecdote from my own life. Sometimes I'll go and preach somewhere and at the end someone will come up to me and want to give me a check and sometimes I'll gladly receive it and sometimes I won't. It's good sometimes to say, no, actually, I, I just, I love Jesus. I, I, I'm here for free. It's just a pleasure to be with you. Because sometimes it's good to show that we are in this because of passion, not because of pence. Can you say amen? And of course, huge amounts of work is done in local churches by volunteers who wouldn't dream of being paid for it. But that was one way that they were used. And finally, helping the poor. In Romans 15, 26, Acts 11. In Acts 11, there was a famine and the church got together. They wanted to uh, make sure that uh, they could send money to uh, churches that were going through hard times or, uh, you know, difficult projects. Uh, Paul insisted in his epistles that the people shouldn't forget the poor. They should give the money to those who were in need. It's a very difficult one, giving to the needy, because giving to the needy uh, may not be the same thing as helping someone continue in their alcohol addiction, right? It's a slightly different thing. And so sometimes people say, can I have some money? And uh, it may be appropriate to give. It may not be, because it may be that I'm, I am uh, continuing, uh, allowing someone to continue in some kind of addictive or criminal lifestyle. So these are sort of gray areas today. But certainly, in the early church, that's how the New Testament leaders used the money. They supported the work of God, helped the poor, and paid for the ministry. So I want to encourage you. I'll stop here. We'll, we'll pick this up again and finish it maybe next time. Next time I want to look at that great verse, uh, Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need. We'll look very carefully at what that means. And talk about the whole principle of sowing and reaping and the whole farming analogy that comes with money. Let me finish with this. The way we handle worldly wealth is an indication really of our whole life. Luke 16 verse 11. So I just want to say again, it's not incidental what I do with my money, how I spend my money. It's not incidental. It's not incidental in terms of tithing and offering, but it's not incidental also 
in the things I buy in this life as well. And the, the way I use my money. Maybe sometimes I buy too many toys. I use the word toys advisedly, you know. I don't mean I've got a big teddy bear at home that says, oh, I love you. Nearly, but not quite. But may the Lord help us to order our finances aright. If you're not a tither, I want to encourage you to do it. Because it's simply obeying the word of God. I told you that sometimes when I, years ago, I used to travel and teach this. And sometimes someone would come up to me at the end and uh, they'd say to me, well, I, the reason I don't tithe is I don't trust the pastor. I don't trust those elders. And I would say the same thing all the time. Well, what are you doing in this church? If you don't, tr you, you, you don't trust him with your 10 pound note, but you're entrusting him with your soul, right? You're entrusting him with your, with your life. You're entrusting this ministry team with your, with your future, your, your, your discipleship in God. What are you doing in this church? So I want to encourage you today to obey the Holy Spirit. I know that uh, uh, most of the people hearing me, either online or in this room, are tithers. And, you know, God bless you. May the Lord continue to touch you and uh, may you have an outpouring upon you so big you don't have room enough to contain it. But for any of you who hear me, maybe who haven't done this, let me encourage you to begin to do it. And you'll see the goodness of God in your life. Amen.